Hi, I'm Asha Tomlinson. And I'm David Common. And we're hosts of CBC Marketplace. We're award-winning investigative journalists that want to help you avoid clever scams, unsafe products, and sketchy services. Our TV show has been Canada's top investigative consumer watchdog for more than 50 years. But this is our first podcast. CBC Marketplace podcast is available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. We're now officially into fall, and as many experts feared, the number of COVID-19 cases is rising after flattening out during the summer. The biggest climb is happening among younger people. We've heard a few different definitions of that. Many reports say it's people under the age of 40. Today, we want to get a lot more granular about age and the coronavirus, and we want to get some answers about what the broader implications are for all of us, no matter what our age. So to give us some expert insight, our guest today is Ashley Chute. She's an infectious disease epidemiologist at the University of Toronto's Dalalana School of Public Health. She'll help us answer the question, more young people are getting COVID. How worried should I be? Hi, Ashley. Welcome to The Dose. Hi, thanks for having me. Let's start with the numbers and what they actually represent. We keep hearing that cases of COVID-19 are rising among younger people, but what age groups are we specifically talking about? So I think the age group that we're seeing the most worrying trend is in the 20 to 29-year-olds. In that age group, really since the end of spring, early summer, we've consistently seen higher rates compared to the rest of the population. And more recently, over the past couple of weeks, that, that increase has, has really taken off. How useful is it to break down the data into age brackets when we're talking about who's infected with COVID-19? You know, for instance, I'd imagine that someone who's in their 20s is doing different things and, and you know, coming into contact with a different number of people than someone, say, in their 30s or 40s. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the you know, main reason that we look at age is because the outcomes associated with COVID are very age dependent. So specifically, older individuals tend to have more severe outcomes and are more likely to end up in hospital and are more likely to die of infection. Initially, that's why we were interested in looking at age. But as we've started seeing these trends in terms of cases, it's been really interesting to try and understand what's going on and and why we see this divergence. And one of the things that's been interesting with the younger ages is that, you know, we do see these cases that are continuing to happen in these age demographics, but it's not translating into increased hospitalizations and it's not translating into um, increased deaths. And, you know, as in, an infectious disease epidemiologist, I'm sort of waiting for that in the sense mm-hmm. that we know that young people don't only interact with young people. So we would expect to see spillover into other ages. And I would say that we are starting to see that, you know, as much as cases are focused in the 20 to 29 year age group, we are starting to see cases increase across the board and and more specifically in the 30 to 50 year old age group as well. And so, you know, what we're left with is, you know, we can see these trends and in the data, we really want to understand, you know, why why we're seeing the patterns that we see. And, and that's where things get a little bit trickier because the, the numbers are just the numbers and we need to dig deeper to really understand why we're seeing what we're seeing. What kind of behavior do we see uh, in the in this 20 to 29 uh, year age group that you've identified that might be contributing to the rise in cases? So, I mean, there's there's not 
a simple answer. I think people want to say, well, you know, it's the young people, they don't care, they're out partying, Mm. they're out doing risky behaviors. And the reality is, is that, you know, every case has a story. And every person who's getting infected with COVID is getting infected for different reasons. Some of that may be behavior that, you know, people are taking riskier or engaging in riskier behavior because, you know, they feel less vulnerable. Um, But we also know that the people who are out working, I don't know if you've been to a restaurant or to a coffee shop um, during COVID, but a lot of the people who are doing those jobs are people who are younger. And so, you know, they're out, they're having more contacts, and it's not that they're doing this recklessly, it's because it's their employment. And so I think it's really important to remember that, you know, we can't really paint with a broad brushstrokes. This is the reason that we're seeing these patterns in the cases. There are different reasons, and it's it's important to recognize that. And I think it's also fair to say, and I I think you're implying here, that that, uh, we're not trying to blame young people partying uh, for the uh, increased number of cases, are we? No, absolutely not. You know, everybody has experienced COVID and in very different ways. But the reality is, is that, you know, we need to continue living our lives through this pandemic, it's not going to go away. And so, you know, people crave human interaction. And for sure, some of this will be due to partying. But the majority of it is, you know, people trying to figure out how to navigate the world in a way that allows them to have some degree of normalcy, while also trying to minimize the risk. And, you know, sometimes people are not making the best decisions. But I think that's, you know, less a matter of us shaming and blaming the people who are getting infected, and more about thinking about, you know, what sort of messaging are we providing? And how are we helping people navigate the world right now? And are we helping them understand you know, what sort of decisions they should be making. And, you know, if you do want to go out and visit with your friends, how do we help people do that in a way that minimizes the risk that they either get infected or that they spread infection to other people? Let's look in a bit more detail into some of those non-partying factors, uh, if we can call it that, that affect the ability of of younger people to distance themselves from others. Um, There's precarious jobs, We've heard about the gig economy, you know, that younger people are having to go from job to job to job, public transit, housing. Tell me a bit about how those kinds of things might be playing into this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the precarious employment is a really important thing to address. You know, it can be very easy for me to say, well, you know, if you are in a situation where you feel that you're placed at risk at your work, then you should say something. But the reality is, is that a lot of people don't have that power. You need to be in a position of power to be able to speak up. If you're worried that if you say something, then you'll be fired and someone else will fill your position. So that's a really, really important aspect to this. And so, you know, we need to be able to empower people who are in positions of less power to be able to speak up and not risk their jobs. Um, the, The housing situation is another really important one. And we've seen this um, in in the pandemic, you know, particularly in Toronto, where you have multi generational households. So you have younger people who are out working, um, a lot of them doing what were considered essential jobs during the the spring wave of the pandemic, who then go home to households where they're living with crowded conditions and also potentially living with older individuals and more vulnerable individuals, and so they have to deal with, you know. 
the choice between working and, you know, in a potentially risky environment and also having to deal with the dilemma of coming home and potentially spreading infection within their household. I want to get into something that we've been we've just begun to hear about uh, in the news from experts the number of contacts that people are are coming into contact with the number of human contacts that they have uh in less risky times you had one person coming into contact with maybe five people that was more during the lockdown now it's 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 more and for all the reasons that you've mentioned do younger people tend to come into contact with more people and therefore have increased exposure risk Yeah absolutely so pre-pandemic Um, There's been several studies that have been done specifically looking at contact patterns and understanding how people interact with each other. And, you know, over the course of the day, how many people do you have physical contact with? How many people do you have contact with that would be sufficient to be able to transmit, for example, COVID or another respiratory infection? And what we know from those sorts of studies is that younger people do tend to have more contacts than older people. Um, children are actually the, the the people in our society who have the most number of contacts. And children are particularly interesting because they have contacts across generations. So, you know, they're interacting with adults and they're also interacting with their grandparents. But in general, younger people just tend to have more contacts in their day-to-day life. And that's a huge predictor of viral spread. Because if, you know, you think about this, this was our whole response to COVID in the spring was, reduce the number of contacts by having everybody stay home. And so as we return to a more normal existence, we're, we're basically returning to those old patterns. You would predict based on contact patterns that younger people would be more likely to get infected. And that's precisely what we're seeing in the data. However, based on what we also know so far about COVID-19, it seems that in general, and of course there are exceptions, younger, healthier adults young, otherwise healthy adults, that is, don't get critically ill as often as people who are seniors or who have underlying health conditions. So some people uh, may ask, okay, younger people are getting COVID-19 more often, but they're probably not going to get as sick. So why does it matter? Yeah, so there are a couple of reasons why it matters. The first is, you know, from an individual health perspective, we do know that younger people are less likely to be severely ill with covid But this is a new virus. This is a new disease. And we're still learning about it. And one of the things that we're still learning about are the longer term consequences of infection. So we do know that previously healthy people who initially report a relatively mild or moderate infection are continuing to report effects long after Mm. they've had their, their initial infection clears. And so this is what's known as the COVID long haulers. And again, you know, we're still trying to understand, you know, what that is and what it means, but it's it's a thing. And I would say at this point, I wouldn't say with any degree of confidence that, you know, having infection, despite being young and clearing, it means that you're you're clear. And, you know, there are data that have already, are starting to emerge. I, I know off the top of my head, there's one from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control that found that about one in five younger people, so these were people who were under, I think, 34 years of age, hadn't returned to their sort of normal health several weeks after their initial infection. And some were reporting symptoms that were lasting for months. So, you know, from an individual perspective, that's something to keep in mind, that just because you're not likely to end up in hospital or you're not likely to die, it doesn't mean that this is necessarily an infection that you want to have. And then the other part is, you know, more of a a sort of pro-social reason, which is that we're talking about a communicable disease. And that means that 
it's going to spread. So you being infected means that you're posing a risk to those around you and you can't choose who you infect. So, you know, in, in an ideal world, you would say, well, I will take the risk of getting infected. Um, I don't care. It's, it's all right. I think I'm going to be fine. But the reality is, is that you can infect other people with this disease. You know, you can be infectious and not display symptoms. So you can go around and be out living your day-to-day life and infect other people. And those people who you infect may suffer severe consequences of infection and may die. And so you're basically making a decision or your infection is, is potentially altering the life of those around you. So I think that's another really important consideration. And of course, you're talking about people who are older and people who are vulnerable to uh, more vulnerable to the effects of COVID-19. Exactly. Exactly. Queer life in Montreal was wild. Montreal in the 90s was a great time, but it had a dark side. It was not a safe city for gay people back then. But what else was behind a series of deaths in the city? Somebody's killing gay men. We want to know why. I'm Francis Pourd, and this is The Village, The Montreal Murders. Get early access to episodes at cbc.ca slash listen or by subscribing to the CBC True Crime Premium channel on Apple Podcasts. Over the summer, we could reduce our risk by being outside. So maybe younger people were able to visit older relatives from their driveways and keep their distance. But now that it's getting colder, that might not be possible. And we're approaching Thanksgiving when families do want to get together. So how concerned are you about all of that, especially since cases are already rising and we're barely into fall? Yeah, I think the the holiday season is going to be very tough. Thanksgiving and also thinking about you know, the Christmas holidays coming up. The reality is, is that you know, those celebrations are the sorts of celebrations where we're indoors, we're spending prolonged time with our family members and loved ones. And I don't think that this is the year for that. And so <laughs> it's not ideal, but I think people are going to have to be creative, um, you know, whether it be figuring out how to have an outdoor Thanksgiving, which, you know, it may be possible that the weather, the weather holds, or, you know, having virtual gatherings and, and, you know, really figuring out ways to celebrate without coming together physically, because I don't think that this is the year for that. Mm. We've certainly heard lately from some experts that the messaging aimed at younger people to curve, you know, the behavior that might be increasing the risk of, of COVID spreading has been tone deaf. Uh, and, and, you know, if we are concerned about the behavior of someone in that younger demographic, be they a friend, a coworker, a sibling, our kids, our grandchildren, do you have any advice on how to talk to them about being safe and get across how important it is? So before COVID, I worked a lot on sexually transmitted infections. And I think we can learn a lot from that world. I think the messaging around COVID initially was akin to the abstinence only approach where, you know, you tell people, don't do anything, you know, everything is risky. And the reality is, is that that's not feasible for most people. And so we need to think about what in the sexually transmitted infection world is known as a harm reduction approach, which is really around, you know, acknowledging that people need to live their lives, people need to interact with other people. And how can we arm people with the information to make decisions that are lower risk? If you want to go out and see your friends, 
you know, how do you do it in a way that's safe? It's not going to be zero risk, but it's lower risk. So that's, you know, in the summer, that's been a lot of purging outdoor activity. I think as we move into the the, the colder weather, we're going to have to be more creative, you know, starting to see in Toronto an acknowledgement of, you know, ha- of how do we have more outdoor dining, even in the colder weather with heat lamps and, and stuff like that. I think that's going to be really important. And I think we need to figure out similar messaging for individuals. So rather than getting together, for example, for Thanksgiving in, in a crowded house, can we give people creative sort of feasible ways to get the sort of interactions that they crave in a way that minimizes the risk. It doesn't need to reduce the risk to zero. We know enough about this this disease and how it spreads that we can take very sort of tangible actions to reduce risk. Things like maintaining physical distancing, um, wearing a mask. You know, you don't have to stop your life completely. You don't need to lock down in your house. But also, you know, we need to acknowledge the fact that people have these needs and desires, and we need to figure out a way to, to let them meet those needs while also acknowledging that we're in the midst of a pandemic and we would like people to make decisions that, that minimize the risk that they pose to themselves and to others. Okay, Ashley. So those are some great suggestions. I want to hear the pitch from you. Give me the pitch. Pretend I'm, I'm, you know, between the, I'm far from the age, uh, between the ages of 20 and 29, but, <laughs> but fire that pitch at me in a way that won't turn me off and, and will actually make me listen and realize how important this is. I'm I'm not that far outside of the age band, but I would say that I'm not particularly hip. But I would say, you know what? You want to go out and you want to see your friends? That's great. Do it outside. If you have a friend who has a backyard, go to their backyard. If it's cold outside, wear your winter clothes. See if you can find find a patio that has a has a heat lamp and, and hang out there. You know, you're, there are ways that you can you can get together and, and see people who you want to see, but you don't you don't need to do it in a risky way. Boy, why haven't we been hearing those kinds of messages? Why are we hearing you know premiers saying don't be a you know don't be a fool uh, using messages like that? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, you know, in public health, we, we know that that doesn't work. It, nobody wants that. Nobody wants their mom nagging them, telling them about the things that they should be doing or shouldn't be doing. We need to acknowledge the humanity and the fact that, you know, we're complicated beings and we're not always going to follow the rules. So give us a way to, to, to navigate the world that, that acknowledges that. I'm putting you on the spot here, but I'm going to ask you, would you like to see public health messaging get change on this particular issue? I, yeah, I would love it to get changed. Hearing all the time about, you know, you know, the shaming and the blaming is not helpful. You know, give us examples of, of ways that we can live and the ways that we can navigate the world. The sort of don't do this and don't do that is not helpful to anybody. And it really drives behaviors underground. Just this week, Canada's chief public health officer, Dr. Teresa Tam, said we're at a turning point. Depending on what we do now, COVID-19 cases will skyrocket or they'll level out. Are you hopeful that we can flatten the curve again? Based Again, based in Ontario, I'm, I'm pretty worried. I think that we need pretty decisive action. And I think, you know, we're guided by what we see in terms of policy and what we see the government telling us to do. And the government is is a little bit split here in the sense that, you know, we're being shamed and blamed for private gatherings and that being the source of surge in cases. 
while at the same time, you know, our restaurants and bars are open, our gyms are open. And so I think it can be really hard, again, you know, to decide what is the right action to take. Because the reality is, you know, to drive the number of cases down, we need everybody to change their behavior. And we need to have some guidance around, you know, what we need to be doing. And I think right now, the guidance from the government is severely lacking. So I don't think that without a pretty abrupt change in policy that comes very soon, I don't think that we're going to be flattening the curve anytime soon. What does that decisive guidance need to look like? Um, I think we need to see strong policies around basically shutting down indoor dining and bars right now. You know, we're basically telling people that you shouldn't be doing this (laughs) privately, but we are saying that it's okay to do that publicly. And I think that's a really conflicting and confusing message. I think if we recognize the seriousness of what we're seeing in terms of the resurgence of cases, and if that's reflected in policy, then, then, you know, we can adjust our behavior accordingly. So what's your bottom line message to our audience? I think we are going to be in for a rough fall and winter. I think, you know, we, we've been dealing with a lot of uncertainty for a while now, and it's, it's tough. But I, I think it's really important to remember that, you know, every individual action matters. And so if you're able to reduce the number of contacts, if you're able to work remotely, if you're able to minimize the number of people that you're seeing, you know, as much as it may seem like a small action, if we add all, all of those behaviors, it really can make a difference. Ashley Chute, uh, you know, a bit of a sober message, but uh, I think we needed to hear it. Thank you for speaking with us. Thank you very much. That was Ashley Chute, an infectious diseases epidemiologist at the University of Toronto's Dalalana School of Public Health. And here's your dose of smart advice. First, it's a fact that younger people aged 20 to 29 are more likely to be getting COVID-19 these days. And it's not generally due to partying. Younger people are getting it because many have precarious employment. They work in the gig economy and have to take public transportation. That means they come into contact with more people and that increases the risk they'll get COVID and give it to others. The messages we're giving to young people may not be getting through because lecturing makes them tune out especially when economic factors force them to be in contact with more people than is considered safe. The best way to motivate younger people to minimize the risk to others is to take a harm reduction approach. That means empathizing with them and giving them options. For instance, if you need to see that close friend and the weather's cold, can you bundle up and go for a walk? Or find a patio with heat lamps so you can reduce your risk by staying outside. It's true that young adults are less likely than older people to get really sick and die from COVID-19. But some young people have gotten very ill and have died. And a sizable percentage of young people who get COVID-19 do end up with long-term symptoms. If you're young and get COVID, you may not worry for yourself. But the thing about this coronavirus is that you don't get to pick who you give it to. Remember, we're all in this together. If you have questions you'd like answered on COVID or anything else on The Dose, email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can also tweet me at nightshiftmd or at cbcwhitecoat with the hashtag thedosecbc. You can find The Dose and White Coat Black Art wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a favor and rate our show so more people can find us. This episode of The Dose was produced by Nicole Ireland, Donna Dingwall, and me with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Big thanks to our studio technician, Laura Antonelli. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, 
to your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.